If you're from the South, and many of you are, you may have heard or used the phrase, you must be living right. When good fortune befalls someone, like finding a good parking place in the rain or getting out of a traffic ticket. Or you may have heard or used the phrase, you ain't been living right. (laughs) When someone is in trouble or some misfortune finds them, like getting called for jury duty or forgetting to pay your taxes on time. From the ancient Egyptians to the ancient Greeks to the first century Jews, even some 21st century Christians, people have always believed that a sudden or violent disaster reflected punishment from God or the gods for significant sin. If God is responsible for everything that happens and God is a just God, then calamities must be the result of human sinfulness. The problem with this logic is the idea that if God is the immediate cause of all events, then there's no room for human freedom or freedom in the created order of the world, that thing we covet so much called free will. In the first part of today's gospel reading, Jesus is told of some Galileans whose blood was mingled with sacrifices simply because of Pilate's cruelty. Jesus then refers to 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, simply an accident. The people talking with Jesus thought these poor people must all have been terrible sinners to have died in such ways. Surely they had done something to deserve this fate. Remember back in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast and several voices called it an act of God to punish the New Orleans gay community? One of the loudest voices said, This is me taking an individual stand for God. There are countless instances of prominent voices claiming that natural disasters are somehow God's way of punishing people for sin. And I just have to smile at people who think they know the mind of God. Sometimes I even think Jesus may have felt that way too, and he really did know the mind of God. Were those Galileans who died at Pilate's hands worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they died such a brutal death, an act of political violence? Were the ones who died under the Tower of Siloam worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem or simply standing on the other side of the street? Jesus tells us the answer is, of course, no. The point Jesus is trying to make is that life is uncertain, death is capricious, and judgment, judgment is inevitable. Ooh, judgment. Nobody likes to talk about judgment. We hardly ever talk about judgment up here. But Jesus certainly goes there. 
The deaths of those killed by Pilate and those killed by the Tower of Siloam serve as a graphic warning of the coming judgment. We never know from one moment to the next what might happen. As Jesus tells us, the need for repentance is urgent and ongoing. There's a book that I love called Crazy Talk, a not-so-stuffy guide to theological terms. And um, it's edited really by some Lutherans, which is fine, but we're, we're in communion with them most of the time. So I love the way they explain judgment and sin. Here's the gist of it. Of course, the problem with judgment is that it implies sin, which is something else that nobody really likes to face or discuss or consider, especially when we're talking about ourselves. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and that God's grace is sufficient to save us. If we stop there, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call that cheap grace. But we have to remember that being saved means being forgiven. It does not mean immunity from judgment. Think of it this way. To be forgiven is to be judged. and The verdict is, you're guilty. And then you are forgiven for Christ's sake. In other words, God says to us, when I look at you, I don't just see your sins. I also see my son Jesus who gave his life for you. We all need forgiveness all the time for the things we have done and for the things we have left undone and for the things done on our behalf. Hopefully we confess those things every time we come together or even when we're alone in our beds. I'm grateful for that chance to confess and receive forgiveness. It's not a one-and-done thing. I have to admit to God and mostly to myself, that I am a broken, fallen person, full of shortcomings and failings and really stupid and sometimes really serious mistakes. But then I have to believe, in spite of all that, that I am forgiven and loved anyway. And so are you. Forgiveness is an ongoing thing. We need it often, and the hard part is we need to do it often. Yes, God will judge us all. We believe God will forgive us for our sins because we claim Christ as our Savior. Do we deserve it? No. No more than those poor Galileans slaughtered by Pilate, or those poor souls standing beneath the crumbling tower, or those countless folks who live in the path of ever more massive natural disaster. Which brings us to the second part of today's gospel reading. Jesus is telling of the parable of the fig tree. Noted theologian N.T. Wright offers a couple of ways of interpreting the parable. 
First, think of Jesus as the vineyard owner. He's been coming to the garden looking for the fruit of repentance. He finds only his small band of followers. Israel, Jerusalem, the temple represent that unfruitful tree. Jesus agrees to give them one more chance. If they refuse, and they mostly do, their destruction will be sealed. The second option that Wright offers is to think of God as the vineyard owner who has come to Israel over and over and over again seeking fruit. As the gardener, Jesus persuades the owner for one more chance to make the fig tree fruitful. If he cannot, then the tree will be cut down. And as I was reading that, a third option occurred to me. Not that I would put myself up there with Dr. Wright, but think of yourself as the gardener. Think of those around you as the fig trees in this vineyard we all live in. As we move into more normal activity out of the dark time, pay attention to those who may be looking a little peaked, who might need a little extra nurturing. Many people haven't really thrived much over the last two years. Keep an eye out for who might be struggling to start growing again. Help if you can by reminding them that they are loved and cared for and that there is always hope and help for those in need. No matter how hard we try, we cannot protect ourselves or those we love from every danger. Calamities are not God's doing. Calamities do remind us of the fragility of our human bodies and the life that is in them. Think about disease or mental illness or addiction. And calamities also remind us of the reality that we may stand before our maker in the blink of an eye without a moment's notice about traffic accidents or natural disasters or random violence. Never forget, God doesn't leave us alone in our calamities. He is always with us in good times and in bad times. And so our challenge is to live each day as a gift from God recognize and repent of our sins, to live each day so that we will have no fear of giving an account for how we used, to borrow from Mary Oliver, our one wild and precious life. Amen.